grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the final Sunday in Advent, the fourth Sunday in Advent. And as we began this journey into the season of Advent four weeks ago, I told you that Advent in the church calendar is the beginning. And so we've already begun a new year in the church calendar, and I can't think of a better way to begin than in the hope and peace and joy and love that Jesus Christ gives to us. What wonderful things that God gives. In this celebration of Advent, in our time together, in that first week, four weeks ago, we learned that there was hope for the hopeless. And I reminded you that when it seems that all else in this life is failing and everything is falling apart and people are leaving your side, that Jesus never leaves you, that Jesus is your hope, not a fleeting hope, not a I hope something turns out, no, a sure and certain hope, an anchor for your soul. In the second week, we focused on that there is peace for the restless, that there is peace for the restless, and we learned that the peace of Jesus is a peace that is not of this world. We learned that, that the peace of Jesus Christ goes beyond our human understanding, and that peace keeps us in the faith in Jesus Christ. That is peace that we need, and it is peace that this world needs. Last week, again, Pastor Weber, I thank you for filling in in the last second when, when I was ill and bringing us that wonderful news that there is joy in Jesus Christ. There is joy even in those moments of mourning. The joy that we have in Jesus is not based on our circumstances. It's based on Jesus. And finally, as we've been working our way around the Advent wreath, we come to this final week, this final theme, that there is love. Love for the unlovable. Love for the unlovable. Love. Love. We say it all the time. I love my wife. I love my children. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I love chips. I love pizza. I love chocolate and dessert. Uh, I love coffee. I love Christmas. I love a lot. And in our English language, love can be a bit of a confusing thing because we use that same word in so many different respects. But of course, I don't love my wife the same way that I love a bag of chips. Hey, don't look at me like that. It's true. It's different, all right? I love, I love chips, though, but uh, it's not the same. And, and of course, Jesus does not love me in the same way that I love a slice of pizza. <laughs> and so we need to go to the Bible and even to the biblical languages to help us understand this biblical concept of what it means that God loves us. Today, our epistle lesson is from 1 John chapter 4, and this is one of the great love chapters of the Bible. This, along with 
1 Corinthians 13, I think, are up there as a toss-up between the most read uh, Bible passages at weddings. <laughs> and why is that? Because both 1 John 4 and 1 Corinthians 13 have the word love in it a whole bunch, and people who are getting married uh, love love, right? So it's probably a good thing. But a lot of times at weddings, during wedding sermons, I have to remind the couple uh, just, like I, just like I did already, I make a comparison in the ways that we use that word love in the English language <clears throat> and all the variations of it versus how it is used in the Bible because the biblical languages have multiple words for love. And so we take them to the Bible in marriages, and I want to take you to the Bible today into this lesson from 1 John chapter 4, because the word love appeared many times there. You could take it out and look at it in your bulletin. But in the Greek language, the word for love that is most often used in the New Testament is the word agape. If you've spent any time in this church over the last couple of years, you've likely heard me preach on this word before, but it certainly bears repeating because some of you have not heard this. The word agape in the Greek language, the key distinguishing characteristic of this kind of love is that it is, it is other-focused love. Agape love means that the one who is giving it is totally focused on the one they are giving it to. It is a self-sacrificing type of love. It is a loving with wanting nothing in return kind of love. Therefore, agape love is most clearly defined as giving to someone who is undeserving. Love for the unlovable. You know how it goes, though, in life? Right? Isn't, it, isn't it most true that, that we have the deepest experience of being loved when we know that we don't deserve it? When we know that, especially when it comes to our relationships on this earth, when we know that we have maybe done something to offend or hurt or, or cause ill will and we feel terrible about it and that other person says to us, I forgive you, I love you, I'm never going to leave your side. Isn't that when love is experienced to the greatest depth, when we are unlovable and someone still loves us? I think so. There's a Lutheran pastor uh, who's a pastor in St. Louis, Missouri. He was a couple of classes ahead of me at the seminary. His name is Jeff Clater, and he wrote a book called Loved and Sent. Uh, the, the title, the subtitle of this book is How Two Words Define Who You Are and Why You Matter. If you're looking for a, a great book with, uh, that, that's super easy to read but uh, incredibly practical and theologically deep, this is an incredible book that I highly recommend. It's called Loved and Sent, and, and he's got many wonderful statements in this book, but there's one that I want to share with you today. He says in this book, love's pure form is revealed precisely when you can do nothing to earn it. Love's pure form is revealed precisely when you can do nothing to earn it. 
I love that definition of the word love. When you can do nothing to earn love and someone still loves you, that's when you truly experience what love is. <clears throat> this is what agape is. This is what the kind of love that Jesus has for us is, and this is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates for us and He gives to us. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were perfect, not when we said, oh Jesus, I need you, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the kind of love God has for us. He pursues us even in our sin. Man, I hope that you know this. I hope you know that you are loved. I hope you know as much as you know gravity that you know Jesus loves you. I tell you over and over and over again, week in and week out, that you are forgiven and loved by God Almighty through the cross and the grave of Jesus. I pray you know it. But does it do anything for you? Does, does knowing about the love of Jesus change the life of the one who is loved? I pray it does. You know, John wrote, first John, uh, this is John, not John the Baptist, this is John the disciple. And, and John the disciple also wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, do you know how John is referred to? The one whom Jesus loved. Okay? The one whom Jesus loved. So John, John that's how Jesus called John, the, the one I love. Now this John, he, he, uh, he was also imprisoned later on in his life after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He was imprisoned on an island called Patmos for being a Christian. And during his imprisonment, he also wrote the book of Revelation. So this same guy wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. He was later released from prison. And uh, church records indicate that John... Uh, was the only disciple of Jesus Christ who was not martyred for the faith. Actually, John lived a long life and early church history indicates that he became an overseer of churches in what would be modern-day Turkey. And so he writes 1 John uh, after his imprisonment and, and as he's an overseer of churches. And so I picture John, uh, when he's writing this story, uh, as as uh, as an as a elder statesman uh, writing to the people, <clears throat> but John he sits down and he and he writes this great love story for the people about the kind of love that Jesus has for them, and instead of just simply explaining what love looks like, how did First John chapter four begin? It began with a key word. It's this one simple word, beloved. Beloved. We don't use that word a lot in the English language. Beloved. It's a simple word, and it literally means one who is loved. One who is loved. Now, imagine this. John, the guy who's writing these words, I picture him 
you know, later on in his life, uh, he's, a, he's probably an old man at this point, and so whether it's right or wrong, I kind of picture John speaking these words as an old man with a, a long white beard, uh, wiry glasses, a pot belly, uh, dressed in a red coat with white cuffs and red <laughs> pants, gathering children around him. Go, humor me. And he's gathering the children around him and he's telling them, let me tell you this great love story about how much you are loved by God Almighty. In particular, He loves you when you are unlovable. So beloved ones, loved ones, love one another in the same way because when you do, others will see and experience through your love that God is loved. The longer I stare at this word beloved, I actually start to see it as two English words. I see the word be, and I see the word loved. Be loved. Be loved. Be loved. Christian friends, will you live as people who are loved by the God of all eternity? This is the Christmas story that we're getting ready to celebrate, that the God of all eternity, who created all that exists, became man and took on flesh. In Isaiah 7, it said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and will call his name Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew language literally means God with us. The God of creation came into this world to take on our unlovable, sinful lives. And he took our sin with him to the cross where he died in order to forgive us and give us new life. This is the story. We don't deserve to be loved, and yet God loves us anyways. He died the death we deserve, and He gives us the love that we don't deserve. You know, too often, I think we treat the love of Jesus Christ like a nice adjective. Oh yeah, I'm loved. I get it. Oh yeah, I'm loved. Yes, even when your mind is wandering, even when you want pastor to be done preaching, even when your minds are stressed and you're thinking, oh man, I can't wait for Christmas to be over and for the last party and the family to leave my house. I can't wait till it's done. Even now, even now, the love of God is not just a nice adjective. It is the action of the Almighty Love is an action word. Love is an action. God is love, and God is loving you right now. Love is not just an adjective, it is an action. He is consistently, constantly, continuously showering His love on you. So, be loved. Be loved. God is actively loving you. Be loved. And not just for yourself, but for others. 
Because when you are loved and you live in your love, live in that love of Jesus, the world sees Jesus because God is love. So go and be. Be loved for yourself and for others. Surprise the world with this incredible gift and they too will experience Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.